Hi there, and welcome back to the Us Now podcast. If you're new, I'm your host, Jenny Helmendaller. Every episode, I sit down with a few students and faculty from Louisa County High School to discuss different social issues relevant today. Before we begin, I would like to mention Us Now has an Instagram searchable at Us Now Podcast, where I give updates for new episodes. Also, if you would like to help this project, please consider giving me constructive feedback on the podcast. There's the Google form linked in the description. Thank you in advance. So today we're talking about politics and polarization and what effect that has had on society. So once again, we have four guests. Could you introduce yourselves? Hello, I'm Dave Blanchard. I'm one of the assistant principals at Louisa County High School. Hi, my name is Luke Schemster, and I am a 12th grader at Louisa County High School. Uh, hi, I'm Mark Harris. I'm one of the uh, social studies teachers here at Louisa County High School. I'm Dylan C. I'm also a senior at Louisa County High School. Great. Yeah, so political polarization, um, for those who don't know what it is, it's the vast and growing gap between liberals and conservatives, Republicans and Democrats. And that's from that's the definition from Pew Research. Um, do, do your definitions differ at all from that, or is that pretty, that's what it is? I would agree with that, I guess. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so research has consistently shown that the average Democrat is becoming more liberal and the average Republican is becoming more conservative. And so we do want to um, clear up that liberal and Democrat and Republican and conservative are not synonyms. And so do you want to talk about how um, there can be the differences in like what the difference is between a fiscal Republican or like a social conservative. Okay, sure. Um, I actually I, I break them down into three groups: okay. um, one fiscal conservatism, one with social conservatism, and one with national security conservatism. And so there, there's three three different groups uh, in the you know the big tent Republican Party and. And so that sometimes the fiscal conservatives have traditionally been aligned with what would be called a mainstream Republicans, um, where the social conservatives, which are 50% of the, the party, um, or the, the ones that, um, like the hot-button issues like same-sex marriage, um, religious issues, that sort of thing. And then the uh, foreign policy conservatives uh, or represented by the um, you know, former Senator McCain, uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, that sort, in uh, 2019. Yeah. Do you have anything to add about like how they can be different? I would. I would just say that you know, probably that what accounts for differences is the fact that we we've got a large country, and somebody who's a Republican in Massachusetts, a state that is tends to be much more liberal-leaning overall is going to be different than a Republican in, say, uh, Louisiana or you know, Alabama or places like that. It's the, the culture of both places is very different, and so therefore a, a liberal or a conservative in either one of those places is going to have differing positions based on the reality that they're looking at in their own state. You're probably not going to uh, be able to, to achieve some of the more market market oriented uh, types of strategies in Massachusetts that you could in Alabama and so therefore yeah would when you look at a presidential candidate like Mitt Romney he was supposed to be a you know he was a conservative and yet a lot of people who were conservatives are saying this guy's not conservative he's not like us he's look at his record as a governor well he was a governor in Massachusetts so <clears throat> yeah and then I'd like to ask Dylan so um, there are so many issues that Republicans and Democrats differ upon. Um, so what are some of the main ways that they differ? And do you, can you think of any ways that um, there might be some differences that aren't as obvious? The, the main ways that Republicans and Democrats differ? Are we talking socially, economically? Yes, both. Both? All right, well, I mean, I think you're... Um, at least stereotypical Republican tends to be more conservative-leaning. A lot of them are based in, I guess, their religious beliefs. And a lot of the Democrats tend to be um, more liberal as far as just appealing to the base. 
well, the Democratic Party has been shifting to a much more liberal platform recently. I don't know if I'm answering this question properly. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, I know that the, um, the bare-bones definition of Republican versus Democrat is whether you'd prefer a small government or a large government. Would yeah. you say that's kind of... Yeah, I think the, what you're... You're talking about some very basic questions. Right. About what's the role of government and what are the... What are the rights of individuals, and how do we ensure that the as many people as possible are granted access to the rights that we hold dear, and how do we, and when you get into things like economic issues, how do you ensure that there are scarce resources in the world? What is the most fair and equi- equitable way to distribute those, those resources to the people living within a country? Both of those parties are, or conservatives or liberals, are trying to answer those questions. It's just a matter of having differing ideas about what is the best way to do that. And, and um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to, you know, to follow it up. It, it's just that um, when, when you talk about, you know, liberals or conservatives, is you know, one group believes active use of government to solve problems in, in society. And the other group prefers that you know, maybe free enterprise or the status quo is preferable to to what's going on that you know, those solutions. And so, you know, you know, so for example, like healthcare is just the classic example today. Using healthcare, you know, whether it's free market, the idea that that will actually you know contain prices, or the government should come in and impose the system. And I think that's one of those bellwether that you can classically see you know, the difference between a liberal and conservative on that issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. then you have, you have the oddities, like Mr. Blanchard brought up with Mitt Romney when he was governor in Massachusetts. One of the major issues that people were saying, you know, he's not one of us, is because of the health care legislation he passed, which was, I mean, I'm sure Mr. Harris could elaborate on this a little bit more than I could, but maybe not. But um, it was... It was allegedly like the closest thing to Obamacare on a state level that a lot of people had seen beforehand. So, you know, there are, you know, varying opinions on different things. And then you look at even on a national level, you look at Obamacare in terms of health care. You know, that's something that could not have been done with just the Democrats, you know. So. Yeah, and you say like um, some examples of like other issues that they're the biggest differences you see? Well, there's mainly like the three points, the government, if it should be, like, larger or smaller, there's the social status and how much we should be changing that or how much we should be keeping and how much is tradition that we should be breaking because times are changing or also how much is tradition and how much should be kept because it's what some believe is the proper way or what some believe should be changed because they think that it's tradition and sometimes tradition are meant to be broken and then there's also the economical change that is going on and how some people believe that there should be a little bit more of a equal distribution through the government but and others believe that there should be a little bit more of a free marketing system like Mr. Harris said and how people should be flowing through the economy without government regulation and that leads to different people from different upbringings, seeing different sides of the nation, seeing how one system would benefit themselves or other people around them a little bit more. And it's a little bit more of seeing half of the whole picture because both uh, solutions in almost every sense, no one's gonna no solution is perfect for everyone. So people see the part the solutions that help them and those around them or what they believe helps most of the people around them when there's always going to be somebody slighted in some way or other and that's inevitable and that's why we have this polarization of ideas because there's no perfect solution to any one problem right i think when when you're speaking you're asking the question about today and the fact that the this Pew Research is showing that there's a greater divide now. The, the question that, that Luke has brought up is, is an age-old question that's been, there has been a conflict between these two, two points of view for hundreds of years, 
in terms of you know what's what's the best way to go about this and that those some might look at it as a bad thing uh, but I think that you could probably look at it as a good thing that there is this constant going back and forth between these two things and so there's there's always a feeling that okay my interests are represented and somebody is 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 trying to work for me I think that part of what we're seeing today when you're talking about that greater divide is that it is not the it's not the economics it's not the fiscal Mr. Harris pointed out the three the three main areas of focus that that basically are you know where, where you would say that conservatives you know you got fiscal conservatives you got you got national security conservatives and you've got the social conservatives I think the divide you're seeing today is not is not the result of the fact that folks still disagree about what's the most effective way to take these limited resources and distribute them it's more on the social issues and as the social issues become greater and greater in terms of the main focus of the day I think that's part of the that's the major reason why you're seeing that there's always been a divide your right, right. your data showed a divide back at, at you know as far yeah. back as it went it's growing why is it growing and I think that is because social issues are, are what's dividing us we can we can disagree all day long about about an issue like taxation and at the end of the day, we're like Wiley Coyote and the, and the and the and the sheepdog. You know, we punch out and all right. Well, have a nice day, Ralph. Have a nice day, Joe. And but when it's social issues, those tend to be much more things that people take personally. And so the divide between me and somebody else when it's a disagreement on something like that is not something that. Yeah, we disagree, and then we you know we say, hey, well, have a nice day. It's you no, know, I. You tend to view people more and more as your enemy mm-hmm. when they don't see things the same way that you do. Right. Yeah, and if we're looking at causes of political polarization, we definitely should talk about media. So now with the rise of media and everything is online now, you can always see like the presidential or right now the Democratic debates. They're all streamed online. They're very accessible and people can easily find them. But then also there's the rise of social media where there's just such a flow of ideas and everyone's ideas. So um, what are your thoughts on like social media's role in political polarization? Like, do you think that's a huge factor or is it maybe helping? Um, well, I, I think it's interesting how social media has been used to, um, I, guess, I guess, pull people apart. Um, I think one way that it does it is that a lot of the images you'll find are very representative of the fact that people just can't seem to get along. Um, for example, I was you know talking about this earlier. I was watching CNN this morning, and you know the image that they kept showing of a meeting that I think occurred yesterday between um, some of the Democrats in Congress and Donald Trump and his administration about Syria, correct, um, and all that's happening in Syria. You know, it showed a very clear divide. There wasn't you know, the, the image that went viral wasn't showing them having the civil, you know, discourse. It was, it was Nancy Pelosi standing up and, like, towering over Trump, who just had the most belligerent face on possible. And then you had everybody else in the room just kind of looked awkward, like, oh, my God, you know, they're arguing. You know, it was... Um, so, yeah, the point but, is that, like, the media can yeah, portray things. The, the media definitely are. portrays things. And, I mean, it, that's, it's a pretty accurate representation of what is going on right now, to be fair. I don't think that's, you know, false and put towards the cause of polarization. But another thing that happened today that I think will be interesting is that, you know, um, media can also be used to kind of show that there are some common interests. So it'll show a, a picture like that, but I think we'll see... Um, just earlier today with the death of Elijah Cummings, you know, he was a very, a very respected member of Congress. You know, I think you'll find that Republicans and Democrats are coming out and they're going to be talking about, you know, the shared interests of America. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I think social media um, has um, exasperated the, the differences simply because of the fragmentation of media. Um, you know, when, uh, you know, I'm going to show my age here, but when, when I was a kid, you know, you had three channels. Uh, you know, it was Me too. A, yeah, ABC, <laughs> CBS, uh, and NBC. If the weather was right, you could get a fourth. 
Well, <laughs> rarely was he right at my house. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so the national news was on from six thirty to seven, and it was. I mean, it was it was definitely New York centric uh, uh, national news. So um, today, people are watching or listening to stuff that reinforces their own views. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to follow politics, you don't have to. If you want to have a particular point of view, each one of them uh, caters to it. Um, and I think the classic example of this is that the media knows this. MSNBC, when it came out, was conservative. Today, it's liberal, right? Whatever the market niche was, um, that's what you know, the media flows to. Um, social media, I mean, Americans aren't going to choose stuff to be entertained by that is you know, contrary to their views because it's upsetting. No one likes to be told they're wrong. So they're going to listen to things that reinforce their own own views. Uh, And so people aren't necessarily being challenged on their points of views by, uh, you know, different ideologies, different facts. And so it just constantly reinforces that. And so, you know, it it fascinates me when I hear, you know, liberal friends go like, well, where are these people coming from with these thoughts? And they go like, well, do you ever listen to anything? that the other side says. And the same thing with conservatives. He goes like, I don't know what you guys are thinking, you know. You know what are you talking about taking my guns away? It's like, well, you know, are you listening to the debates? No one's hearing. It's like, you know, two ships sailing in the nights, but they never touch, never see each other. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a, that's a great point that Mr. Harris makes um, that I, I agree with, that when you're... The people that you interact with, if you're if you're talking about you know ages and ages ago when, when Mr. Harris was growing up, and uh, the people that he interacted with were the people that were around him, and you could you couldn't help but be around. You can't control all of your environments when, okay, so I mean you you have a certain amount of control, but you're going to go to a church and there's going to be different different people there with different points of view. You're going to go to work and there's going to be different people with different points of view. What in our modern society, as with the rise of social media and the increase in the efficiency and effectiveness of technology, this band that I'm wearing on my on my wrist, it broke on on Tuesday. I bought this on Wednesday, or no, it broke on Monday. I bought the band on Tuesday. It showed up in the mail on Wednesday, and here it is on my wrist today on Thursday. I don't have to go out and interact with people if I don't want to. So, but social media gives me the ability to interact with the people that see things the way that I see them, and so I don't have to interact with as many people that don't see things the way that I see them. I don't. I can. I can sit in my cubicle at work and not talk to the people that are that are over there because they don't see things the way that I see them. But I can find that community because I can talk to him who lives in Seattle. He sees things exactly the way that I see them, and so I've got a community here, and everybody sees things my way. Mm-hmm. And I think that contributes to that. When, when you are part of organizations, and I, I think you, working in administration here, I think you see that here at school, where there is less and less face-to-face interaction among students, because more and more of their interaction is on social media, they focus that interaction where they want it to. They're not forced to talk to people that are different than them if, in as many instances as they may have been 10 years ago, so they don't. Well, when you're forced to interact with people who are different than you, you realize that, hey, this, this person's a human being too. They value a lot of the same things that I value. And, and as he said, their difference of in why they think this way is not one of, well, they're just an alien from another planet. I, I think that there was a there was an interaction between Senator Ted Cruz and an actress who's who's a I forget her name Alyssa Milano. She's oh, she's yeah. very very active in promoting gun control. They sat down, and one of the things that she said to him about why she wanted to sit down with him was, and I give her credit for doing this. I want to prove to myself that you're not a monster. She said that to him. And it's like, this is another, this is a human being. Do you honestly, really, truly believe that he thinks that it's okay for children to be murdered? And at least she had the willingness to sit down and say, you know what, 
I want to find out that you're not that person. I want to see that you are a person who has a family, who has people that you love, who cares about other people, and wants to see the best outcome for everybody. And when we can do that, that leads to more... They, they may not walk away from that conversation agreeing with one another politically, but they can at least have the respect for each other. But when your interaction is on social media, or I'm behind a keyboard, not looking at you. I, I heard someone say on a podcast the other day that I'll say something much different to you behind my keyboard than I will over a cup of coffee. And the point being, what I say behind my keyboard is often more inflammatory, is often more disrespectful, is often the type of thing that causes another person to say, I can't talk to this person, I can't communicate with them. Um, with the rise of social media, um, it's just, it is relevant in every point of our lives. So, like, um, I'll say, Luke, like, you wouldn't say that you're super duper into politics, like, watching the move of everybody in office right now, um, but you still feel that political divide. So how would you say you see that every day? So definitely just, like, walking around school, I talk with a lot of both sides, like, when I'm just in academic like classes, most of the people who I talk with are a little bit more liberal or a little bit more democratic. And when I go to sports, uh, most people I talk with are a little bit more Republican and a little bit more conservative. So it's really interesting to see how both sides have really different viewpoints and how different sides are almost completely opposite when they're within their own uh, grouping and how they almost build off of each other's uh, thoughts and become more and more deeper into their own thoughts and ideas and how the conservative people become a little bit more conservative because they're talking with each other and they're building off of each other's conservatism excuse me and then how the liberals and the Democrats are grouping up with their own uh, viewpoints and people who share their ideas, and they're becoming more liberal and more democratic. And it's really fascinating to see how that buildup doesn't quite meet in the middle. And I have the fortune of being able to bounce back because I try not to start arguments. There are some people who go into an, a political debate just trying to start an argument, and that kind of builds off of the social media and how when you're typing behind a keyboard, you can say whatever you want, and there's no repercussions. But when you're saying someone to somebody else's face, you don't have <coughs> that same advantage of not having any repercussions or any... As, or as many emotions or fears because when you're typing behind a keyboard it you could type whatever you want and then never look at it again and you'd never have to deal with your consequences of your actions but when you're talking to somebody who you see regularly you're dealing with having to see if you're being rude to somebody yeah you have to deal with what comes with being rude to somebody in person and how that changes between person and social media. Maybe, maybe Mr. Harris could talk about a little bit, because one of the things you make me think, people have always, always look for commonalities among others. I mean, if I walk into, if I go to a conference, a workshop, and I walk in, and there's representatives from school systems all over the place, and I know none of them, but one of them has a Pittsburgh Pirates cup sitting on the table. I'm going to go and sit next to that guy because I grew up near the city of Pittsburgh and for a long, long time have suffered through being a Pirates fan. And so I immediately see, hey, here's a commonality between me and this person that can lead to a connection. I'm going to feel more comfortable. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing to seek out those people that, that you have common interests with. And, and I think that's something that's occurred throughout human history, is it not? Oh, yeah, um, when you think about, you know, um, you know, people are always looking, you know, the, rather than be divided, 
um, you know, us versus them, um, that, that commonality. Um, you know, in a college campus like, uh, you know, um, let's use the University of Virginia, you know, you, you've got 25,000 people there. Their, their common thing is the University of Virginia. Uh, and so, you know, the, the unifying force of, you know, them winning a national title, you know, this past uh, spring, you know, brought you know, the whole whole uh, <laughs> April uh, brought, brought the whole campus <coughs> and the whole Charlottesville community <coughs> together uh, you know um, I think sports uh, but it's 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 interesting that it's becoming more and more in common like the, the number one rated non sports event of all time was MASH and that had 107 million people saw the final episode the highest rated show last year in 2018 was the Grammys, 28 million. So even what used to be a common thing like, you know, television or something like that, they're just, the, the moments are coming harder and harder to, to come by when you, you have that unity. Mm-hmm. Um, but in uh, you know, small places or, you know, uh, it's hard to have things that translate across all, all social classes and that sort of thing. Right. Yeah, and, yeah, and going back to like um, political arguments or political debates, um, I'll say, Dylan, um, <laughs> not to mean to call you out, but um, I know that you enjoy having political debates. I love it. And I absolutely admire your ability and your willingness to like see the different sides and have conversations with people from the different sides. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is your part in that? Like what? Okay. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, um, you know, I, I'm fundamentally different from Mr. Blanchard in that when he goes to a conference, he goes and finds a person with, you know, similarities. similarities. I like, I, I kind of have just, I just have this thing. It's a hobby of mine. I like finding people who are as completely opposite for me as humanly possible and then going and engaging in conversation, not to fight with them, but to understand them and to, you know, find commonalities. I, Luke's a great example. Um, you know, Luke, I, I consider to be one of my best, you know, dearest friends. Um, we took a personality test in Miss King's class, and literally everything came back completely opposite. <laughs> if I was one thing, he was, the, he was completely different. I like it. Yeah. And, um... You know, I just I, I value finding those those commonalities. As far as uh, media comes into it, I've I found that you know, I can I can, you know, have a, an easy conversation with anyone who knows their stuff. You know, anyone who who uh, has you know some sort of factual basis for their argument. You know, because you can discuss statistics. If nothing else, if nothing else, you can agree on the truths that we're dealing with, the realities that we're dealing with. Um, I think one of the things that the media has done to negatively impact the quality of conversations like those is that, you know, I've just, I've noticed that it t- they tend to stray farther and farther away from facts and what's happening and more on the interpretation of it rather than letting people interpret it for themselves. And, you know, I've, you know, just me being who I am, you know, I had at one point I had, I had to delete them because I had a lot of pictures on my phone, but I had 14 news apps on my phone ranging from CNN to Infowars, which was really more for the amusement factor, but, um, you know, I, I really like, you know, getting the full, full range in the political spectrum, and, um, I'm also, you know, I'm subscribed to the Washington Post, I get it every Sunday, and I remember being appalled last year, um, when I got it and read the front page, and there was an article on it that didn't have anything on what Trump did or what Trump said. It had an article that was on what Trump was thinking. You know, like, I find that I can have, you know, just last Thursday we went to LC um, Promotes the Vote, and I had conversations with everyone from Amy Lawford to the obscure dude in the MAGA hat, and I just, I just loved it, and, you know, we ended up getting along, you know, I shook his hand, I was like, it was a pleasure talking to you, sir, uh, you know, we go on for a long time, Luke got kind of bored, but, um, you know, I thought that was interesting, you know, he knew his facts, so it was something that we could, we could you know, discuss and, and be civil towards each other, but when it comes to, you know, 
your take on, for example, Donald Trump's character, which is what that article in the Washington Post was leaning more towards, you'll find that, you know, well, firstly, unless you've met the man, it's really very difficult to gauge the quality of his character. You know, people talk about him like he's a family friend. You know, if, if you can, you know, back a politician for policies rather than personality, I think it's easier to find those commonalities. But, um, yeah. I, I, one of the things... <coughs> One of the things that I that I see in your in your conversation there, I'm I'm listening to what you're saying and I'm and I'm listening for why it is that you have that approach to people. And one of the things that you said about your about your conversation, your friendship with Luke and with somebody else is you are you're not going into that with an assumption that we can't get along. Mm -hmm. You're going into it with an assumption that there are some things that we will find in common and that we can be friends in, in spite of those differences. And I think when you're when you're getting down to again what's what's going on today, I don't see social media so much as a cause. I think that it's a I think that it exacerbates an issue of common values and the values that, that we have and, and for for many many years even though there were a lot of different people that were living in America from a lot of different places there was a commonality in terms of the basic values that we agreed upon that and a lot of those are founded in in religion as we progressed into the modern day, you have a lot more people whose values are not based in that. You have a rise in, in secularism. Well, part of what's going on with secularism is that there is, there is no church of secularism. There is no, okay, everybody, this is the authority that we look to that's going to decide what our values are. As a Christian, my values come from my church. I, I didn't come up with them. I, <laughs> they're here, and I say, okay, this is what they are. I'm, I'm going, okay, that's what I go along with. But if you are a secular person who does not believe in God, or at least does not believe that God establishes a set of common values, things that are true, then, okay, what does that mean? Well, it means I come up with them for myself. When I come up with my own set of values, that now puts me in the position of having a great deal of that power. And when I don't agree with you, I'm not, question, I'm not saying that I don't agree with this other authority that established your set of values. I'm essentially saying that, no, your set of values is not valid. And that's something that, if you tell me my values are not valid, that's something that's going to create a divide where, where I'm saying, you know what, I don't have anything in common with you. I can't find common ground with you. Because if we can't agree at least on some of the same basic values, and I don't know what your background is or where your values come from, but you have enough values that are similar to mine that even if, you're, even if your viewpoints are completely different, we can still get along because we believe that there's value in all people. A lot of what you're seeing today is that there's disagreement in terms of what those basic values are. And when, if I don't agree with, that's when you see, if I don't agree with you, I'm now evil, I'm now bad. I walked into Mr. Mr. Harris's classroom one time years ago and they were getting ready to talk to a Republican politician on TV. He probably I've never probably told him this story. They were getting ready to, they were going to broadcast this guy in because he was in an election fight and he needed to do some things to reach out to the people. So he was going to come into this classroom via broadcast and they were going to talk to him and they were talking about, and Mr. Harris was basically trying to make sure that the students didn't ask questions that were not appropriate to a pretty high-ranking politician. And so they went through a couple of those, and a student in the classroom said, I want to ask him, why do Republicans hate the working class? <laughs> and, I, and I mean, I thought about that, and I, being an administrator, I just smiled and walked out the door. But I really wanted to say to that person, I want you to think about what you just said. Do you really truly believe that a political party, an entire political party, has an abiding hatred of, oh, I don't know, hundreds of millions of people, for what reason would they have that abiding hatred? Or is it, just, is it a possibility that they just don't see eye to eye with you on what are the best policies that the government should put in place to benefit this class of people? 
But when you reduce it down to a you're a bad person because you don't see eye to eye with me, that's when there's a greater divide. And I think that a piece of that has to do with the rise in secularism and the fact that we don't. There are more and more people that, that are not able to come to an agreement about what their values are and therefore I, I, can't, I cannot associate. If you look at the, the recent situation that happened with Ellen DeGeneres sitting next to George W. Bush at a football game and she was you know, social media. She was blasted on social media by people on her side. How could you sit next to this person who is a monster, who is a... Uh, you can say whatever you want to say about George W. Bush, um, and you can say what you want to say about the war in Iraq, but if, if you really truly think that, that George W. Bush decided that we were going to go to war with Iraq because he just wanted to kill a lot of people for oil, or if you think that George W. Bush's policies on opposition to, to same-sex marriage or any of those things were because he is an evil person, um, I, I, don't, I don't think that you're paying a whole lot of attention. But a lot of people were simply saying, you can't be in, the, you can't even be in, you can't associate with that person. You, that's, to me, that's a values question. And that's one of the things that makes it difficult. Um, <laughs> well, I, yeah, I'll follow that up. Um, you know, it, it, there's a tradition in American um, society against elitism. You know, if you go back, if you look at the Federalist Papers, you know, they're talking about distributing, uh, you know, distributing the power among the, the branches of the states and stuff. And no one in this country has ever loved to have a, an elite tell them, whether it's conservative or, or uh, a liberal elite. And so what you have... Now, you know, in this country, you know, is a breakdown along a cosmopolitan, you know, kind of lifestyle along with, you know, a secular society versus a more rural, uh, you know, religious-oriented, traditional values. And no one likes to be told that they're, they're evil. I mean, you know, if, if you tell me that I'm, I'm a bad person, it's like, okay, you know, I don't need to listen to you anymore. Um, you know, if you tell me my lifestyle is, is not the way to go, um, that, you know, I, I find one of the more insulting phrases that, that you know, in the last 20 years is flyover country. Who wants to be known? You know, I'm a flyover country. For You, you fly from New York to Los Angeles or um, some Silicon Valley to Northern Somebody Virginia. Somebody wrote a song. Yeah. Somebody wrote a song basically in opposite, called it was flyer. It was Jason Aldean's song. Yeah, yeah. Where he was basically saying, "Hey, yeah, you know what? This is what flyover country is. Yeah. <laughs> this is who lives there. This is the backbone of the country." basically, in response to that. Yeah, and um, you know, I, I think you you saw the you know the results. You know, um, you know, even in the, the large cities of the Midwest, where people just kind of you know in twenty sixteen kind of threw up their hands and said, "I'm done with this system," because uh, what what's happened is that you have large groups of systems that the, the, it's not working, right? You know, if you're going to tell me my lifestyle as a religious person is, is wrong, then you know, well, you're telling me the whole way I've been raised all my life. If you're telling someone who lives in, in a city that you know, my lifestyle is wrong to be a gay or a lesbian, said, well, then you know, the system's not working. And, and you have you know, a country as diverse as, as this, that it's so difficult to, to string together coalitions to get anything done because it was deliberately set up that way by the founding fathers. I argue that this, the the um, you know that the standstill, it was set up by the founding fathers. You know, fifty states. I mean, do I want to be governed here in Louisa County like New York City? All right. Do I want to be governed like the poorest county in Mississippi? No. You know, I'm, I'm perfectly content with letting people here in Louisa decide what they want to do. Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, let people, it, it's, it's so difficult when people aren't identifying with each other. And, and schools are really, you know, a school like ours is an anomaly now in this country where people go to schools that are made up of 90% of one social class or one race that they're not even today or not even in the school system, which is the ultimate assimilation factor in American values, they aren't even having interactions with people that they, uh, they went um, 
that are different than them. And when I went to high school, you know, the guy right next to me, you know, said, you know, lives like three doors down from me. You know, he dressed in camouflage every day and hunting season came in. You know, he was in full camouflage and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, and uh, he didn't go to church, but he certainly liked to hunt. And so, you know, and said, well, I like to go out in the woods. And so there was, you know, at least a commonality, you know, and, you know, I still see his parents. So it's, it's, a, it's a different scenario than today. And like um, with the different like parts of the United States where some parts of the country lean a certain way, other parts lean another way, like um, there's really a culture shock. Like if a person from Los Angeles came and started living in Alabama with no warning, they'd probably experience culture shock. Well, um, they, there's a book called The Big Sword and they, they, you know what you're getting into, right? Um, you know, if, you, if you're moving from someplace... Uh, and you know, like you're saying, from you know, like um, from California, let's just be you know, Los Angeles, and you, you move to you know, rural county, Alabama. You know, I mean, you're choosing that sort of thing. Uh, you know, uh, when you, you move to a county like Louisa, you, you pretty much know what you're going to get. You know, it's not Charlottesville, and it's not Richmond, and it's certainly not Short Pump. You know, and those are three distinct, you know, different entities, and. Um, you know, one of the reasons that, you know, really a place like Louisa County was, you know, attractive there for until the Great Recession uh, was that people wanted what we have here, you know, kind of a commonality, kind of a small town kind of atmosphere where, you know, people, you know, know each other and that sort of thing. Uh, but, you know, if you move from Los Angeles and you're expecting to go convert people in Mississippi, that's, that's just simply not, not realistic, you know. And uh, it's actually quite bluntly, I, I think it's kind of insulting that uh, to those people that have lived there all their lives and with their values and that sort. I think that getting into getting into human nature and getting into history, I think that I think that the nature of humans is to control other people. Uh, we all have an innate desire to tell other people what they ought to do and how they ought to do it, even from the perspective of. I mean, some of my conversations with my wife that don't go very well are the ones where, where I'm saying, I wasn't looking for a suggestion from you on what I should do about this particular situation. I had not. And, you know, I think a lot of marital conflicts come down to that sort of thing where it's not even that, you know, as a team we're deciding that this is what we're going to do. It's just simply, you know, I got this situation at work. Well, you want to tell, you want to, no. No, um, no, thanks. I'll, I'll make my own decisions. We, we have a desire to do to make our own decisions, but I think that there is also within us, within our nature, a desire to tell other people how they ought to live, what they ought to do. And when you take that to, to the extreme and the high levels, that's when you wind up with totalitarianism, where, you know what, I, I know the way the rest of the people in this world ought to live. And, I, and you know, m- me personally, when I look at somebody like this congresswoman from from New York City, um, AOC, that's what I see. I see somebody who, you know, because she, I really don't know why she thinks that she has the authority to say this because she went to college. Well, so did I. She got herself (laughs) elected to Congress. Well, I haven't done that yet, but she really thinks that she should be able to tell me how I should live. And I think that we all have that, whether you're a Republican, a, a Democrat, whether you're a liberal or you're conservative, Everybody has this desire. That, you know, what it's in me that I want to tell somebody else what they ought to do and how they ought to live. When you begin to use the government as your means of forcing somebody else to live a certain way, or as Mr. Harris pointed out, to, that you're going to tell me how I'm supposed to feel about things. You're going to tell me what I'm supposed to believe. Um, that was something that I heard one of the major candidates. Well, I don't know if he's a major candidate because he's not polling very well. But one of the candidates who's still allowed to participate in the Democratic debates, uh, one of the things that he said was they're talking about if a particular church or a religious institution feels, you know, has this or that position that the government is going to take action against them. I look at that as, to- that's totalitarianism. That's, I want to force you to believe a certain way. And I think that one of the things that will be helpful for us to understand is we don't have to agree about things. I, 
to break it down to a very simple personal thing, I'm, I'm, I'm a hunter and I'm from Pennsylvania. We do not hunt deer with dogs. When I moved to Virginia, it was a shocking thing. In fact, if I had known that they did that down here, it would have influenced whether I moved here. Seriously. <laughs> but people who live here have been hunting and been doing that for years. And I still don't like it. I don't think it's a good way of doing things. But here's what I do. I tolerate somebody else who's doing something that is not in line with what I think is the right thing. There's my totalitarian impulses to tell them what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing. But I tolerate them doing that because it's part of their tradition, because it's something they're legally allowed to do. And I think that when you talk about what are are solutions here, part of it is coming down to understanding that I don't have to agree with what somebody else does and I don't have to even be, I don't have to accept it. I simply have to tolerate it. And when you don't take that position where it's not just, hey, we need to tolerate each other. At the most basic level, this guy who lives next door to me, uh, we don't get along, we don't see eye to eye, but I have to tolerate him. I, I, when I decide that I'm going to take action to force him to do a certain thing, now I'm violating his rights. I can't do that. But I can tolerate somebody. I can walk past them and never even look at them every single day, and we don't like each other. We might talk bad about each other, but we tolerate each other. Groups that don't have the same values have to have to reach a point where they say, I'm going to tolerate somebody else believing a certain way. But if you are going to try to force acceptance on somebody else, that's when you're going to create a greater divide. And I see that happening all over the place today, is forcing people to believe a certain thing and as Mr. Harris said, it's not going to go well. Yeah. A, a little bit more of an optimistic spin on that. Is, yeah. <laughs> that's that's no, people are going to be like, are trying to force their own ideas. Yeah, that's exactly what people are going to do. But there are some cases where people think, I know better, so I'm going to tell you what's better for you. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to tell you what's better for you. And so they try and think, like, I know what's better, which sometimes it is true, but sometimes it's not. And so they might think, I know a little bit better than you, so I'm going to help you. I'm going to tell you what you should do because that will help you out. And some people mistake their opinions with what is objectively right. And I feel like that kind of leads core, into a little bit problem, of... Core problem with liberals right there. <laughs> So goes both ways. Um, You know, one thing that I thought was interesting that you brought up was um, you were talking about the thing with uh, George Bush, and this is this is probably like what 15 minutes ago at this point. But um, you know, I've been thinking about it and how you said, you know, if if you think that George Bush got us in a war with Iraq because he's a morally bankrupt person, he just did it for for um, oil interests. You know, that's actually something that um, you know, and it's interesting because when I when I evaluate politics, I tend to leave morality out of it just to get a better understanding of it. And, you know, um, I'm personally of the mind that a lot of these politicians do make power moves, that they do it without, you know, thinking or taking into consideration, you know, the, the value of human life. I think that we've seen it before. I think that we'll see it again. I think that we're seeing it now. Um, I'm not one who generally looks at George W. Bush and thinks, wow, you're a horrible person. I just, you know, I tend to take out my personal feelings towards him, and I just kind of evaluate the decisions that he's made. That being said, you know, I've, I've never had an issue with people, you know, intermingling, and I thought it was cool that, you know, even George W. Bush and, and um, well, yeah, and, and Bill Clinton, you know, they've, they've gotten along despite literally throwing crap at each other all through, you know, the elections, because uh, Clinton was running against Bush Sr., right? Yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, I thought that was interesting. Um, however, I think that, you know, beyond that, you know, it's, you know that power class, the, the power elite, as you could say, um, I think you'll find that if you take two warring countries... You know, if you take the United States and Iraq at the time, you took a farmer from the United States and a farmer from Iraq and, you know, put them in a room with a translator. If they needed one, they'd find that they had a lot more in common than they had, you know, 
as far as differences go. So I, th I think it's, you know, I, I think it's sad the that politics of, can be so divisive. The people of Iraq were not at war with the people of the United States. Exactly, yeah. It's, and it that, was and the that's government why of one country that was <laughs> exactly. at war with the government Exactly, of and that's why I do look at things like that and think, you know, not necessarily were we in the right or were we in the wrong, but I do question, you know, why. And if it seems clear that we went over for oil interests, then, you know, I'll generally say that objectively. Um, as far as this conversation goes, though, I think that the vast majority of people have very similar values in, in many different ways. I think if you're a part of any religion, you'll have a lot of very similar values. Um, you'll, you'll find that you have more commonalities than differences. Um, and it's interesting. It's, that's always been very interesting to me because I grew up in the church. You know, I grew up Southern Baptist. And uh, I'd say that my, my personal ideals are very rooted in Christianity. But, you know, at the same time, I don't like to associate myself with religious institutions at, at this point in my life anyway. I just, I find no need for it. And I, I personally find the fact that, you know, a lot of people go to church and they'll tell you how to vote. You know, I, I think that's very annoying. But, um, but, you know, I've used my background, compared my background to others, and, you know, found those similarities to connect to people, so. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, morality <laughs> um, is just such a part of politics now. And I would say it's definitely, I don't know if it's something that should just completely stay out of politics, because of course we're always going to have our biases, we're always going to have our personal feelings about something, and I think it would be kind of callous to just cast away our feelings in all the decisions we make for the country. But I think definitely now we're seeing that morality and our personal morals, our personal values, which differ from one another, are becoming more and more a part of our policymaking. And so um, I think that whatever your values are, it's just really important to know that those are your personal values and that there are people different from you and that you are not right and the other person's not right. And well, part, of it, part of it is an acceptance of how do you have influence on somebody else right. because that is ultimately what you want to be able to do. And that's, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. I, if I want someone to see things the way that I see them, it's, it, that's perfectly okay. How I go about doing that is, is what's really important. And treating somebody else with respect, treating somebody else as someone who's capable of making their own decisions is foundational to why our system works and how it works. Um, it's accepting when you lose, when your ideas do not appeal to the majority of people, when your ideas are not able to to become widespread enough to the point that you're able to convince other people that they should be on your side, then you accept that and you go back and you say, so what can I do to help someone else to see that this is a better way of doing things? And if that's how you operate, then our system our system will continue to work and, and be okay. But when more and more people decide, well, you know what? I wasn't able to get the majority of the people on my side, but here's what I can do. I can use the, the government to force other people to have to see things this way. That's when we create problems. When it, it's, and that's, you know, again, goes back to the values. I, if, my, if my ideas are superior to somebody else's, and, I, and that's one of the things I, I like about Dylan here, hey, I'll have a conversation with anybody about anything, and for me personally, my, my conservatism is based in mostly fiscal things, mostly free markets. And I'll have that conversation with anybody, anytime, anywhere, and they'll lose. Because, <laughs> because the evidence is there to support the idea that free markets provide, that individuals, when given the freedom to make their own decisions, to do things their own way, will produce a far better solution, will produce far more things that are productive, things that are of value, than any government who comes in and takes control. Well, I will have that conversation with anybody anywhere. And they may walk away and go, well, I still don't agree with you. And it's good. But I don't feel threatened at all by being able to have that conversation. And I also don't feel like I have the right to force that on people. If three out of four people say, you know what, no, we want the government to come up with a solution. Okay, 
well, I got to accept that, and if I can't stand it enough, then I got to move somewhere else where more people agree with me. <laughs> you know, um, I, I I do think it's interesting. I think because I think you know, economically we're, we're of a very similar mind, actually, um, and that's one thing that you know I I think is interesting. Um, I I really dislike that people think that the government has well, people don't necessarily think it outright. There's just this sort of, especially, you know, in, in mass media and social media, there's like the, the government has this sort of monopoly on American values. Um, I, th- I think you'll find that, you know, most of the American values are rooted in the people. Um, and that, you know, with a lot of politicians, they sort of separate their own, even their own personal values. You know, one of the most interesting quotes from the you know the 2016 elections and the Republican primaries was a uh, Ted Cruz's stance on you know foreign policy in the Middle East and he said that we should nuke them until the sand glows in the dark and you know and like you said you know if you sit down and have a conversation with Ted Cruz I don't think he's a horrible person I think it was rhetoric really um, I think you'll find that if you gave Ted Cruz a gun and put all of the people that would be slaughtered in a situation like that in front of him, I don't think he'd have the heart to pull the trigger on each one of them. But, you know, those, those you know, political moves are, it's, it's sort of Machiavellian, I think. But. Well, I'm going to uh, take this back to the, the economics. It's one reason that the government gets involved is because the, the system has been stacked against groups of people in this country. Whether it was the institutional racism against the African Americans coming into this country. The... Uh, Propagating by the government. Yes. <laughs> but, I mean, it was written into the Constitution. We fought the Civil War over. The desire of you know, large corporations for you know, massive immigration into the country, which has led to you know, de- depressed you know, workforce uh, wages for the, the person where you know you were promised like if you did everything right live the American dream and it's going to come true well unfortunately some people have done everything right uh, and it's not working for them um, you know wh- what do you do when you're looking at a six year old and say hey I'm sorry your free market's going to feed you and you know they, there's no food in the cupboard uh, you know, in a in a country where the largest group that is poor is the the under eighteen, uh, where you have a majority of children today that are born in poverty situations, who's going it, to? It's it's too large to expect any social institution except government to try to help. When when did the government start spending money to try to solve that problem? And how many billions have they spent since the 1960s when they did? And yet it's bigger now than it was then. How have we done on this war? I don't think that's the purpose of our discussion. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, no, it's, it's literally if you talk about the war on poverty, yes. I mean, uh, you know, Linda Johnson's famous you know, address. Um, but just think if we hadn't fought it. I mean, where would we I, be I'd today? You know, um, you know, 1964... <laughs> Well, one in four Americans are poor, right? Today, it's 12.5%. I mean, you know, do, do we want to go back to the era of where people are, are hungry? You know, when we went to war in 1930, uh, you know, when we reinstituted the draft as a classic historical example uh, in 1939, one in three troops were rejected initially because they were malnourished. You know, there was real hunger in this country. Americans shrunk in the decade of the 1930s because of lack of, 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 of food. Uh, we had out-migration the only time in the history of the country during that decade. And so to, to think that you know, the, the, the free market just obviously didn't work for millions and millions of people during that period of time. Um, I mean, this is a four-hour discussion. <laughs> all I will say is that what Mr. Harris fails to recognize is all of the different things that the government did that helped to contribute to those things. And that's, 
what's very typical of a situation where the government decides that they're going to solve something is they don't think about the second and third and the fourth steps of the consequences of those decisions and what other situations they are going to create whenever they come up with a solution. And again, I'm not, I don't, I've, we don't have time to have that conversation, but you know, maybe another podcast yeah. where we can trace each one of those things. It, is a free market going to produce a perfect system, a perfect situation for everyone? No, it's not. But to, to even make the suggestion that we were in a free market system in the 1960s is profoundly either ignorant of what our system looked like at the time or deliberately deciding that you're, you're going to argue against a straw man that isn't really there. Um, in every one of those instances, you know, anytime the government comes with a solution to something, there are always other implications to it. There are always other effects that produce other problems. And now the government comes with a solution to this problem. And the, so those, produ those solutions produce other problems. And so now we come up with solutions to those. Um, and, and you know what? And here's the cool thing about the conversation. Again, Mr. Harris and I have never agreed on, on these particular things. <laughs> But he's probably one of the he's he's one of my better friends in all of Virginia. He's one of the people that I've known the longest, and uh, somebody that I truly love. And I would not have had a great experience in Louisa. In fact, I probably would not have stayed in Louisa if Mr. Harris was not teaching across the hallway from me. And so, even though fundamental disagreement between the two of us, we we still get along really well. Yeah. So yeah, I would like just to go around one more time to the students also since. Um, yeah, you see there a great example of political differences, but still getting along. And so with political polarization, when um, we all said that, we absolutely see that here, and we absolutely see that everywhere across America, within our classes, just it's through every part of our lives now. Um, so do you both have any ideas for what we can do, either on a personal level or, like, even just generally, like, what classrooms could do or, like, personally us as human beings um okay came around um I think the more accurate and unbiased information is well dispersed amongst the American youth I think the the better the conversations will be I think the more we'll come to understand each other um yeah I guess teaching people how to have a civil conversation would be nice but <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's almost human nature to disagree and feel offended when other people disagree with your core beliefs, and that's kind of rooted in human nature. There's almost no way to get around that, but I feel that if we force people to have civil conversations, that wouldn't quite go well. It has to be like, there's has to be a natural flow of ideas that everybody can hear both sides and can choose what they believe based off of what both sides are saying and what you have experienced and where you believe the correct solution for every single social, economical, or governmental problem is. And you could even decide if there are problems or if there aren't. And it just has to be a natural case-by-case, person-by-person solution. There's no way, I believe, that everybody can just start having civil conversations. That's impossible, in my opinion. Everyone's going to disagree in one way or another. Nobody perfectly agrees with one person on every single aspect. And there might be something that's extremely close but that's about as close as we can get, and there, it's, there's nothing, there is no complete agreement, but there is something as complete disagreement, which kind of weighs the scales against the favor of civil discourse, as opposed to just aggravated discourse, and how people are always going to lean towards getting offended when their ideas are challenged or even questioned. And the only way to mitigate that is to keep people informed in at least most of what's going on for both sides. 
and that's even though that's really easy to obtain the information for both sides one people either don't have the time or they don't have the attention span or they don't even have the interest of learning both sides they just want to reinforce their own ideas and that's human nature people want to be validated people want to hear that they're right people want to hear yeah other people agree with me that means that I'm right I'm validated I'm not crazy in thinking this my own way and when people start to hear the other side they start to feel less validated they feel like oh other people disagree with me am I wrong and they start becoming self-conscious about themselves and their ideas and their beliefs and that makes people uncomfortable and people want to get out of that and so that just results in people becoming angry because they're uncomfortable or they don't want to be feeling like their entire belief system is being uprooted. Yeah, yeah. I think um, the biggest thing is that if we didn't have any disagreements with each other, I think it would be a lot more boring to live and it'd, it'd, be, it'd be a lot more boring. Um, but I think just we should realize that disagreement is not necessarily a horrible thing and that it can be healthy and it can build each other up rather than tearing each other down because not everything is the exact same. Yeah, it's definitely important to have that conversation because nobody's going to be completely correct about to do anything. Nobody's 100% correct all the time, so it's important to have those conversations to see other sides so then we can hopefully more uh, accurately get things right more of the time. There, Some of the times there is never a right decision, and it all comes down to what majority wants or what is better which is hard to determine because we don't know because sometimes ideas haven't been put into practice or sometimes it hasn't worked before but because of something else that caused it to not work before okay well thank you so much (laughs) for uh, sitting down with me today about political polarization Um, I think it it's helpful I hope it's helpful to someone um Here's an example of people with different political views um, sitting down and having a conversation. So, thank you so much. She she put this in his um, office. We do this quite a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you.